is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hi, this is Ben Cerruti, back to you with another edition of Conversations with Cerruti. Uh, this is Season 2, Episode 11. Sorry, it's been a while. Uh, the end of the school year is always crazy for me, uh, but once we hit the summer, we get a little bit more freedom on this end, so hopefully I'm going to bring to you a bunch of fun guests this summer, uh, the first of which is a name you may or may not know. It is Jeff Ponce of Baseball America, formerly with bunch places rasball uh prospects live i'm missing one perfect game is that yeah, right Perfect game college as well i uh the background is sort of i had i had started writing back in 2014 with rasball um mostly on like the fantasy side of things and uh about 2015 i took over their prospect content there and uh had grown up around the minor leagues i grew up about 10 minutes from 15 minutes from mccoy and Pawtucket. So I, I grew up going to, you know, minor league baseball games all throughout the late eighties, early to mid nineties, um, kind of re, you know, uh, engaged again with the team in the mid two thousands, um, was going to a lot of games, had kids, and then, you know, was kind of, you know, off the radar for a couple of years. And then as they got a little older, started writing and, uh, eventually, you know, I had kind of, I think to a degree grown out of just sounds bad but just grown out of just doing straight fantasy content and fantasy prospect content and kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit more scouting focused and and just learn about the things that were going on behind the scenes in the game and all the different levels and just have a really good idea of like you know what the what the feeder system was up to the major leagues beyond even just the minor leagues but the amateur side of things and and getting getting a good idea there so i had I'd actually founded Prospects Live back in 2018. It was me, uh, Matt Thompson, Jason Panini, who's now with the Twins, uh, Lance Brozdowski, who's now on the Marquee Sports Broadcast for the Cubs, um, and Matt Thompson, who's uh, still with Prospects Live. And then uh, yeah, Matt's a years. friend of the pod already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did that for a few years, and uh, you know, um, I worked for Perfect Game last summer, just covering the Cape Cod League, which gave me an opportunity to really um sort of meet a lot of area guys a lot of cross checkers a lot of folks on the amateur scouting scouting side um you know i had applied for a couple of area jobs with a few different teams didn't get it unfortunately um <laughs> but baseball america came around uh late october and um it moved really quick and you know it's been it's been the best job i've ever had i was in i was doing this part time more or less and and was in sales for 16 17 years and uh, i'm older i'm like 40 and you know finally got an opportunity to do this and it's just you know like i say every day is almost like summer vacation like i, I go to That's... baseball games i watch baseball games i write about baseball 
and I get to talk with people like, you know, JJ Cooper, Matt Eddy, Kyle Glazer, Josh Norris, you know, um, Ben Badler, of course, and certainly Carlos Colazzo, you know, Teddy, Joe, like all those guys are people that I read and, and really looked up to their work, um, particularly JJ. I mean, he's somebody that, yeah, um, you know, it's almost it's like a hero to me, you know, like I think. <laughs> When I started Prospects Live, I kind of had said I wanted to be the new J.J. Cooper. I told him that in the interview, too. <laughs> J.J. and I have like a... a he's, we a have a him, right. he's a great guy. I mean, like, we're both nerd out about like the Rule 5 draft and a lot of that stuff. So it's fun because like when we were doing... We didn't have a Rule 5 this year, but we had the MILB Rule 5. And like we spent five days just like digging through numbers trying to come up with like different profiles that got drafted and then were successful from the minor league rule five. And I think we picked like, we maybe nailed like 15 or 16 picks in that draft, which is just That's like awesome. unbelievable. Um, any of yeah. them to the, any of them to the right team? Uh, we didn't do teams. We just kind of picked like guys. We oh, okay. thought we'd picked. We'd actually be I, knew, I knew there were a couple guys that would probably end up with, with a few different teams uh, just based on conversations I had had with people behind the scenes. Typically, yeah. a lot of analysts, um, they're typically the ones that I feel were, were doing a lot of the picking in those, in those like minor league rule five drafts because they're identifying, you know, certain characteristics of like, hey, maybe this guy's a little bit slept on, can do this, this, and that. So, so with this being Cardinals focused, uh, this podcast, um, did you feel like Luke and Baker was going to go or Delvin Perez, I guess? Uh, yeah, they were, they were protected in the, in the minor league rule five, but they were, unprotected oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Rule five. Um, yeah. If there were, I thought, okay. I thought there was a chance Perez could go just because of what the defense was. And he had shown a little bit of life for the bat last year. Baker's a tough one. It's funny because Baker's actually a profile that works better in the rule five draft, but it seems like teams don't go after him. Like, yeah, and I thought this year with 15 teams adding a DH, well, 14 besides yeah. the Cardinals, that he he might have gone if there was a major league rule five. But yeah, yeah, I think there was a shot, you know, like a, <clears throat> a, a second division team, you know, it might have made sense. He's got the power. Um, the contact obviously is a little bit of question. And it's a funny, funny body because it's huge. Um, but yeah, I kind of wondered if uh, he was a guy that potentially could have gone. Um, and it, like I said, like I, I feel like with the rule five, People take shortstops, but they never work out. People take catchers, they rarely work out. Guys that work out are like first basemen, corner corner outfielders, and relievers. You know, like that's you yeah. get a starter every so often, but um, they're a lot easier to stash too, right? Like investing in a corner infielder or a corner or corner outfielder when you're not a competitive team and. You're kind of like, hey, I can get this guy and it's controllable and the contract's a lot less. It kind of makes sense to do it. You right. Know? And, and if he hits, he hits. And if not, you say, okay, yeah. well, here's give give him back for 50 grand. I mean, exactly. And I think even the guys that get that have been rule five eligible that haven't been picked got like Max Muncie kind of fit into that profile. Um, Connor Joe was a rule five draft pick and now it's been a few teams since, but I mean, now he's having a really good season with Colorado. There's guys like that, you know? Yeah. What's funny to me is the, the only. Rule five guys, I can remember the Cardinals doing. There was one reliever. I, I, I want to say Matt Bowman was a rule five, but um, the only one I really remember before that is a middle infielder. It's Hector Luna. Yep. So, and they lost some guys. They lost um, uh, San Diego took all of them. Uh, yeah, I was going to say the the, the shortstop <laughs> there that I'm not thinking of, who's like was in the majors uh, and like he's, he's been in Double A since, and his career's kind of been. Yeah, I, 
I know Luis Padermo, but I'm trying to remember this. I don't remember the shortstop. It'll I'm come totally to me as soon as, I, as, as, soon as I hit yeah. stop on record. Me and you are both going to say it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like it was like the same time. It was the same draft, obviously, like Louis Torrens went and you yeah. know, a few other guys. It will come to me in a minute. <laughs> so let, let's, uh, if, if we have time, we're going to try to get to some more Cardinals prospects and then also some 2022 draft stuff. Um, I've got a tons of questions I want to ask you. Some, Most of them are from me, but some of them are from people on the internet or, or buddies of mine that, that I said, hey, I'm actually interviewing somebody from Baseball America. And and uh, they're like, ooh, ask this. I'm like, well, I kind of screened a few. But um, what is your personal or, or Baseball America's or both process for putting together a top 10 for an organization or a top 30 or top 25 or top 11 or whatever it is? What, what, what process do you go through? So – um, we're, we've kind of adjusted it a little bit. We're making more consistent updates almost on a monthly basis now, which is different from what we had done in rule years past where it was really sort of entering the season, mid season, end of season, you know, yeah. we're now we're, we're trying to adjust as things happen because things change so quickly. Um, especially with the lost 2020 season, like everything's changing so fast the last couple of years, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. So, um, we typically start out with, you know, the basis list that we already have. Um, we send those out uh, for feedback internally as well as externally with opposing scouts that are sitting on the leagues that the Cardinals minor league teams are in. It could be folks that have specific Cardinals coverage as well. Um, we get out to games. Uh, you know, I was down in, in Cardinals camp for about a week um, right before the start of the minor league season. It was the last week at camp i maybe i missed the last three days of camp or something like that so it was after the major leaguers had moved out and yeah everybody it was after the lockout you know obviously that that had some impact on when we got down there um so i was a dean and you know got to see pretty much the entire organization you know i sat in a couple of major league games as well okay um and that kind of gave me some feedback number one to meet a lot of opposing scouts that were there uh but also kind of have a baseline of players that i thought had improved or just looked good. Um, one in particular was Mason Wynn. I think it was really clear if you saw his swing based on what it was as an amateur, based on what it was last year, that he had been his upper body and lower half at times would sort of get out of sync a lot. And you could see that he was really synced up. Um, you know, he was on time. Uh, you know, he wasn't getting ahead of stuff. He wasn't behind stuff. Um, he wasn't in bad hitting positions consistently, which was something that kind of plagued him in the previous years. Uh, and like, he was a guy coming out of camp where I was like, this guy's going to have a good year. You know, uh, Graceffo hit a hundred for me on the backfields on the trackman. Um, yeah, and- that's uh, the, I actually just finished reading an article about, uh, Graceffo and McGreevy written by Katie Wu of the athletic the, right before we got on here that was talking about how much he wowed people like immediately upon getting back to camp. And that, yeah. that was a big reason why. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was one of the standouts from camp. Um, you know, I got to see um, Chow as well, which, you know, there was a lot written about him when he came over. He's, you know, an interesting um, personality and social media, likable personality and social media. Um, and, you know, he was he was pretty good. Uh, I think we'll see him probably relatively soon. Young, there was obviously an adjustment. There's a language barrier there as well as he, you know, um, starts to adjust to life in North America, I'm sure. Yeah, um, do you think he'll be more of the, the, the Jupiter group or do you think he'll actually play in some like Palm beach games this year? 
You know, it just depends. I mean, if he hits in Jupiter, it, it really wouldn't surprise me if he gets a month or two in, in Palm Beach. Oh, that'd um, be fun. Not that we can watch much Palm Beach, but that'd be fun. The bat is there. Well, you get St. Lucie now, right? So you yeah. got a few more. You got another broadcast at least, and it's on <laughs> on the East Coast, so that helps a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I just think the bats there. The the bat to ball skills are there. There's projectable power. It's a fun left handed swing. Um, you know, he's probably a corner outfielder. Um, it's a fairly physically mature body, um, but he's really strong. It's not a bad body at all. Um, he's just broad and, and muscular already. Um, and you know, from everything I've heard, uh, he was a guy that the Cardinals kind of stole away cause everyone kind of thought he was going to be in this next class in January. Some teams had some agreements with him, And I think, um, St. Louis, you know, sort of swooped in and, and made the deal. So he's an interesting one. You know, I don't, I, I think there's still some, some questions as to, you know, how much impact is there, uh, but it certainly looked good. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals uh, typically have always, you know, a few guys that, that kind of pop. So he could be one of them. So this year, uh, I believe you were one of the ones that or were you the only or one of the ones who wrote up the Cardinals top 10. To start I didn't the do the offseason list for the handbook. Okay. Um, but since then, I've taken over the Cardinals list. Okay. So any of the updates that have happened in season have been me. I'll also be handling um, Cardinals next year for the handbook. So awesome. They're sort of my. Uh, I got them, I got Toronto, and I got Rockies as like full season coverage, you know, all the okay. time. I help out with another six uh, boards or rankings uh, in season. But yeah, Cardinals are kind of like my premier one. So I've been okay. you know, trying, to, trying to put in as much effort as possible. Well, and, that, that's going to be a really interesting one. So the off-season list, for those of you that don't have Baseball America subscriptions, or the off-season list was Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, who has graduated, Michael McGreevy, uh, well, Gorman hasn't graduated yet, but I'm sure he will at some point soon. I don't see him going down anytime soon. Uh, Michael no. McGreevy was third. Matthew Liebertor was fourth. And if he stays with the big league club and keeps making starts, he could graduate. Yep. Ivan Herrera, catcher Ivan Herrera. Um, at six was outfielder Lars Newtbar, who I think has already graduated or will momentarily. Seven is Joshua Baez, an outfielder in the low minors. Shortstop Mason Wynn is eighth, who you already talked about. Ninth is uh, Juan Yepes up with the big league club, who could also graduate off the list. And 10th was Alec Burleson, who is just crushing it in AAA. Um, so four of this list have made their major league debuts this year or last year and uh, probably have staying power. So you're going to get to do a whole bunch with this list. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The next update is uh, <laughs> is probably going to be fairly significant because um, I'd have to look at I have to double check actually reminded me of like where Yepes is in terms of at bats and where Donovan is in terms of at bats. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we have guys here, Gorman, Levator, Yepes, Donovan, Zach uh, Thompson, Lars Newtbar technically graduated, but um, our standards are 150 at bats regardless of service time days. Oh, okay. Um, I was so those, are six, those are six guys that could graduate. We also have what Andre Palante who potentially could, um yep. Jake Walsh too. Um so you know we're looking at what's your what's your innings limit this fairly shortly, you know. Um so that makes a big difference. But I so it's a hundred a hundred and fifty at bats for hitters. What is it for pitchers? It's fifty innings. Fifty innings, okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if Jake Walsh will quite get there this year. Yeah, it, it there's a chance that he won't. Um 
kind of hope that he does. Like, I like moving these guys up. I like moving more players on. Oh, yeah, um, and then you can talk about more guys, right? Yeah, it would work really well for me if, if somehow these guys don't move off for a month and then we have the draft guys come in. Because um, that's really one of the questions with the back end of the Cardinals list for me is, you know, some of these guys at the end, like number 30, like I, I went with Andre Granillo. Um, I saw him a lot last year with Katuit. Um, familiar with him as a pitcher uh, and he's pitched pretty well out of the bullpen. Um, so he was a guy that I kind of threw on there, but it was like, I don't know, like there could be three or four kids that pop, you know, that end up yeah. sort of jumping over him pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And there's like, you know, a couple of the relievers that have been pretty good this year, um, that could potentially jump onto the list, but, uh, yeah, the draft class needs to come in, uh, <laughs> but they've yeah. done a good job of developing guys. I mean, you look at a guy like Yepes, you look at a guy like uh, Donovan, even Alec Burleson, um, I don't think people thought they would be what they are, let alone move as quickly as they have and been as productive as they have been. Um, yeah, I know Burleson know. was a fairly high draft pick because he was in the class of yeah. 2020 and there was only five rounds. But but yeah, it seems to be like he's moving fairly quickly to me. Yeah, and I think that there were some questions just like how much impact is in Burleson's bat? Um, what's the position? Like there were just more questions. Like I can remember seeing him and Judd Fabian on the same team and there was like no question that Fabian was the better prospect. That is not the case at like not even close any longer. So if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't Burleson a two way guy though in college? Burleson, Burleson pitched as well, but I, I mean, if you've seen the body and like you just saw him as an amateur, it was kind of like, all right, like maybe he's a first baseman that's kind of undersized. That gotcha. okay. how much power does he have? It was just a weird profile where I think you know because <laughs> of the arm and he's just got instincts in, in right field that it's it's played up a little bit more. All right. So my brother, Michael, had a question that fits in quite well with what we're already discussing here. So I'm going to throw this question in now. He wants to know, who are you most excited to see that hasn't made a Cardinals debut yet up to this point <laughs> to come up in the majors and maybe help, whether it's just for a few games this year or 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 has staying power? But and why that person? Sure. Wow, they've called up so many guys already, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave the majors with nine, uh, nine major yeah. league reviews this year. I mean, I don't see Jordan Walker getting called up this year um, unless something tragic happens with Nolan Arenado, which I don't want to happen. Right, right. right. My my youngest son's first name is Nolan Ar- Nolan, so after Nolan <laughs> Arenado, so he wasn't with the Cardinals yet. But I'm a big Arenado fan. Love third baseman with you know that sort of skill set. So. Um, I mean, probably Walker. They've called up so many guys that yeah. I think the name I'm kind of looking at here is is Connor Thomas, which is a really weird name to say, I'm sure. Um, but I saw Thomas. That makes with, a lot of sense, though. A lefty pitcher that the Cardinals yeah. have struggled to keep in their rotation or bullpen lately. So, yeah, exactly. And you know, Thomas is Thomas is one of those guys where you know I saw him at. Georgia Tech, um, his draft year, and he dominated. I remember he he faced a BC lineup that had you know Morissette, it had Frelick in it, um, a couple other guys. It was a pretty talented lineup. It's probably the best BC team they've had in years, and he just dominated. And he was sitting like 86, 87 on his fastball, and just throwing a bunch of different shapes at people. Um, velocity's up a little bit. He's still a below average velocity guy. He probably always will be, but it's a high level of pitchability. And I think the other thing that I've been impressed with, with him is he's handled some relatively difficult assignments, um, particularly 
you know, he's got 162 AAA innings now and an ERA under four. Um, that's not easy to do. And that's not easy to do when you're pitching in Memphis either. Um, so, you know, I think Memphis he's a isn't Albuquerque or anything, but it's not. Yeah, but still, I mean, you're playing in those parks. Yeah. Um, you know, last year they were still a PCL team, right? Or no. Mm-hmm. Last okay. year, I think. They oh, were. Yeah. Um, but like either way, like you're, you know, AAA in general, the balls, are there's something going on. Like the balls are juiced there. The offensive environment is absurd. Um, and he's just one of these guys that like, I want to see if it works at the big league level. Cause he's worked everywhere else. I mean, yeah. it's never, it, so he's a weird name to probably say, but I think they've had so many really talented guys that are like really exciting. Could be full-time guys or to get pulled up, uh, you know, called up and get roles at the big league level that it, for me, it's probably a guy like Thomas just cause he's the closest. And you're like, Hey, there's 160 triple a innings here. What's going on? Let's get him up. Let's see, you know, spot start or whatever. And we'll see if it works against major league hitters. Um, All right. So the next like three or four guys I want to ask you about might actually kind of fit that same mold. Um, I mean, obviously they're not all going to throw less than, you know, average fastballs or anything like that, but uh, very much could be pitchability guys. So I'm a, I'm a stats guy. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I do at birds on the black is I write up projections for Cardinals for the year. And so when I looked at stats after the 2021 season, there was a pitcher by the name of Connor Lunn that really stood out to me. What do we know about him? And do you see an MLB debut in his future? You know, he's pitched really well. Like it's one of those guys where the production has been so good. It's really tough to to sort of knock him. Um, you know, I think particularly all things considered where, you know, he's pitched in, in Springfield and the ERA is what it is. But I think if you look at some of the, ERA estimators like FIP and XFIP. Um, his numbers are pretty good. He's a guy that misses enough bats, especially as a starter. Um, you know, he's a 25% plus uh, K rate guy. Um, doesn't have many walks as well. He's, you know, really a, 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 you know, I would almost put plus control on him. Um, the big question with him, I think, is really just pitch shapes and stuff. You know, does, and I think, like you said, like it, it, it falls in line. <laughs> with what we said about Thomas, um, you know, he's a guy that sits 89 to 91, you know, he'll run it up to 94 at peak. There's a decent amount of hop on the fastball. He's not like a spin maven or anything like that. He throws a ton of strikes with the fastball. I mean, he's in the zone uh, 70% of the time, or, you know, he's getting strikes 70% of the time on that pitch, not a huge whiff pitch, but it's not bad. His chase numbers aren't bad in the fastball. Um, you know, he's got good depth on the curveball as well. Once again, not a huge spin pitch, um, but gets decent efficiency on it. Um, the issue with him, I think, too, is sort of the slider and curveball um, could be bat missing pitches, but doesn't get him in the zone a lot, particularly the curveball. Um, and I think the fact that he struggles with the breaking balls to get those in the zone is kind of what the issue is with him right now. Gotcha. Um, it's a four pitch mix. It's just. It's a lot of 45 pitches, you know, maybe there's a 50 there on the curveball, but the fact that the command is about a 40, um, isn't great, but you know, it's funny because he dominates with a fastball so much, um, that you really don't see that there are some command issues with the secondaries, but, um, gotcha. you know, overall, I mean, it's still an interesting profile. It's just, like, he doesn't have anything that really like, stands out and I, I think if you're going to be a successful major league starter like you need 
something that is completely outlier for it to work on a long-term basis. You know, it's yeah. a lot of guys that can throw strikes that can, you know, execute at the lower levels. Once you get up to the big leagues, um, you got to be able to fool these guys a little bit, you know, or you got to be able yep. to drive like an insane amount of weak contact. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, you know, maybe what his saving grace could potentially be. Um, he's not a huge ground ball guy, uh, gets a fair amount of pop-ups. So, you know, there's some stuff there that it's not, you know, there, there's, there's something, it's not like, uh, <laughs> he's non-existent or something like that. <laughs> his prospect status. There is some prospect status there. I think it's just, the question is, you know, what's the ceiling and it's probably, you know, a, a, ba- a, a depth starter up and down type, I think at the end of the day, but it's a big leaguer. And I think, you know, if you're getting that, um, out of that profile, you know, this was a, a guy that you took in the 11th round back in 2019. I, I think that's a pretty, that's a, that's a win, you know? Um, another guy similarly with good stats that it was a little further away, I believe um, was Inohan Paniagua. Um, mm-hmm. So he's a guy who I apparently spelled his name correctly when I typed it in. So I'll look him up in a minute, but he was a guy who who did quite well in 2021. He's doing uh, doing quite well again this year. Um, I know he's he's they're they're trying to kind of move him up the system a little bit. Um, what are what are your thoughts or what what do the kind of more in depth stats say about him? Yeah, um, it's been a really good couple of seasons there. Um, yeah, I know he's he's repeating Palm Beach kind of at age level now. Yeah. Um, and doing even better, but. And they have so many pitchers that I, I, you know, I, I wonder if it's less of a reflection on him um, and more of a reflection on just the, the amount of arms they have. They had a few college guys, um, you know, that's. Well, yeah, and, and I know last year he, um, he was really interesting to me because the, he, he pitched in 16 games and he started five of them, finished two of them. You know, he, the Cardinals did that a lot with their minor leaguers last year after missing 2022 or 2020 that they, they put a half starter, half reliever for a lot of them just to build innings back up. And I know this year, I don't know if they maybe just wanted to see him start because he's started all 11 games he's pitched this year and he was better as a starter than he was as a reliever last year, if you broke it down. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, the stuff here is better. Um, There's more going on here. You know, he's sitting 91, to 93 he'll run it up to 95 um more spin that's in the four seam he actually has a two seamer as well that he throws pretty much evenly to the to the to the four um just gets you know a little bit less vert on it um a little bit more run you know arm side mm-hmm. uh he's mixing a slider it's a really interesting pitch it's almost like a two-plane curveball a little mm-hmm. bit slower it's like upper 70s um, but you know, he's getting, um, horizontal and vertical break on that. He's missing a lot of paths with it. He's throwing it in the zone a lot for a pitch that's, you know, at that movement type, you'd like to see it add a few ticks. Like if that's sitting 78 to 80, 81, when he's ready to get for the big leagues, that will play. Um, I don't know if it's going to play at 76 to, to 78, frankly. Um, and he's got a, he's got a fairly decent changeup as well. Um, gets whiffs in the changeup. You know, he's in the zone about an average amount of time. Kills lift on it a little bit. It, it, it kind of Bugs Bunny plays off of the the, uh, the sinker. It's very similar movement. Just 
you know, about seven to eight miles per hour slower. That'll work. You don't have to have these big power shooting changeups all the time. So I think he's really interesting. He's 22 um, and just turned 22 actually back in February. He's a guy that could potentially move up here pretty quickly. And you might see him in Springfield by the end of the year. Um, I'm interested with how he progresses. I think, you know, body-wise too, there's probably a little bit more projection that you could add there, some strength as he gets into his mid-20s. And the fastball velocity might be more like threes to fives consistently. And I think with his shape, that will play out. This next guy, uh, I know there's not much to go on here because um, he was a 2021 draft pick, um, uh, Alec Willis, um, seventh rounder by the Cardinals out of high yep. school in Denver or Aurora, I guess. Um, he only threw one inning of ball last year in the Florida Complex League. Um, hasn't thrown at all this year in terms of in games that have counted on baseball reference, at least. Um, what do you do you know much more about him than I, I know you knew him as a draft prospect do you know much more about him as a cardinals prospect than you did as a draft prospect with how little he's thrown or not a ton i didn't see him in the backfield i know it's a big body strong um you know i don't really have any numbers on him outside of that one inning i don't think he threw in front of trackman so there's none of that stuff available um i haven't seen him you know i <laughs> Yeah, I knew was one I wasn't I, sure about. Back, I I didn't see Willis um, at all during uh, spring training, and you know, obviously he hasn't pitched yet, so it's yeah. kind of hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no worries. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I am so, I? Okay. You know. Yeah, yeah. I I, am I right? <laughs> am I right in saying that out of high school, he was a kid who, despite having a big body and all that, already kind of had that pitchability? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And there was some power there as well. Um, you know, I think that there's definitely starter upside. I mean, it's kind of what we say in our report. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of seeing it all come together. Um, but he's one of those guys that's probably arrow up. I mean, like he comes out, looks good and complex. He's healthy. Um, and the stuff is up to what we think it is. I mean, he's a guy that could, that could really, really Cool. Um, two more guys that they drafted recently. Uh, you've already touched on Gordon Graceffo, so we can leave that out. But uh, Michael McGreevy, um, obviously a early round pick, first round pick. He he was a guy who surprised some people that the Cardinals took him. Um, I know Kyle Reese, who with is it Birds on the Black with me, is friend of the pod. We we get our most hits on our pod when he's on because he knows the Cardinals system so well. He talked about how how um, you know that night draft night, he thought the Cardinals would go with McGreevy just knowing the Cardinals. Um, what are your thoughts on McGreevy and how, how he's improving this year? And and he's already moved up along with Graceffo to double a, um, have you seen anything out of him that, that is different from when he was a college pitcher, things like that? No, I think he kind of is a similar guy. Um, you know, it's still similar velocity in the fastball. Um, Similar shape. It's a lot of horizontal movement on the heater. Um, doesn't miss a ton of bats with a fastball, but he really sets up the rest of his arsenal. Throws a lot of strikes with that four-seamer. Um, you know, his goal to go-to secondary is a slider. It's more of a traditional slider. Um, decent velocity, though. You know, he's sitting 82 to 84. He'll touch 85, 86 with it. Um, doesn't have a ton of sweep or a ton of drop, but it moves. Um, decent spin on it. It's not a huge bat misser for him, um, but he throws a lot of strikes with it. Um, and I think, you know, that's really 
where sort of McGreevy excels is so much of his stuff is in the zone. The slider and the changeup get, um, uh, you know, a, a, a ton of um, ground balls. You're talking, you know, 60 to 70% ground balls in those pitches. Uh, he's got the curveball as well to show a different shape, more of a two-plane curveball, um, but it has more, you know, vertical. It has more drop than the, than the slider does, of course. Um, he'll get more whiffs on that. He gets more whiffs in the changeup. Those are really sort of his out pitches, Um where the slider and fastball are just strike throwing pitches. He gets ahead and counts with those, gets weak contact with those. That's kind of how he works. So I think, you know, when you look at a guy like him, maybe it's, it's somewhat limited upside uh, in terms of, you know, he's a mid rotation guy. I don't really think there's top of the rotation uh, projection here, but knowing the Cardinals, they're fine with that. It's a guy that's going to throw strikes. He's going to go deep into games He's going to be an efficient player. Um, he's going to get ground balls. He's going to get weak contact and outs because of it. So, you know, I think they're happy with that. Um, you know, if Jeff Ponce was the scouting director, this isn't necessarily the kind of guy that that I would chase in the first round. Um, but, you know, I'm also an amateur. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm question. Yeah. Of, uh, of the Cardinals with some of their pitchers. Um, so, yeah, I think he's just it's, – it's a classic Cardinals pitcher, right? It's one of these guys where – People probably underrate the pitch ability and the ability to actually pitch and, you know, probably um, put too much stock in, in the stuff. Do you think uh, – I'm just trying to make a cards comp for for this. Do you think he could be like a – I mean, that, that mid-range starter, except for he has command. Could he be like a, like a Dakota Hudson if he didn't walk so many people type of guy or like a Jake Westbrook that doesn't walk people? Is that the type um, of guy we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm so bad with comps sometimes. Okay, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these cardinal starters they've had over the years that throw a lot of strikes. I mean, yeah, what keeps coming to my mind is like Marco Gonzalez, but obviously Gonzalez is a lefty, and it's a, it's a different, right. Right. you know, it's a different sort of setup. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of guys that, that cause like Hudson throws hard, McGreevy throws hard, but, but uh, like Hicks, Hicks throws hard, but doesn't get tons of whiffs on that sinker. Um, I mean, Hicks throws ridiculously hard, much harder than the other guys, but, um, you know, could, yeah, that type. And then he's got the slider and you said his slider gets a little more whiffs than his, than his, uh, than his fastball sinker does. So. Yeah, exactly. I think he's got sort of two secondaries that he uses to get chases. And then he's got another secondary that's really just uh, like a, a strike thrown pitch and a ground yeah. ball pitch. You know, um, it's a high level of pitch ability. I mean, he's a guy that gets uh, a lot of outs. You know, I almost kind of wonder if it's if maybe a little bit like Kyle Gibson. Okay, there you go. You know, that was a name that a lot of Cardinals fans were asking them to trade for the last couple of years. Yeah, so. I think it's very much like sort of winning the similar name. All right, so I'm going to completely switch gears in pitching here and ask about a kid who was jumping up a lot of lists this year that um, maybe is the opposite of pitchability at the moment. Um, so why is Edwin Nunez, who seems to be walking everybody, um, but he throws really hard. He has trouble getting people out so far in his minor league career. Why is Edwin Nunez jumping up so many lists? <laughs> um, I think it's probably just the fact that he has huge stuff. Um, yeah. 
you know, that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing that the strikes are a major issue. Um, it's just, there aren't many guys in the system that have stuff that's as loud as him. It's a really good slider. Um, he just doesn't get any of it in the zone. And I think that kind of comes back to something I said earlier, where the back end of this list is a bigger question mark than it had been some other teams, you know, um, that you're kind of scrapping for guys like 25 to 30. Some of it is the fact that, you know, they've, they've graduated some players and gotten them to the big league level. Um, you know, that five round draft that I don't know, you know, some of the NDFAs that I liked hadn't produced, you know, I really liked Mike Antico last year. Um, he started the hit recently coming out of camp. I really liked him, but like the first two months of the season, I really couldn't justify putting him on the list, you know, now he's hitting. So maybe I can. So, <laughs> you know, I think some of it really is just a matter of the system more than anything else. Um, he was, I actually moved him down uh, when I was, overseeing the off season list um, just because the strikes were, were pretty bad. Um, okay. He could move back down again. He's going to be one of those guys that moves up and down depending upon performance. I think. Okay. So speaking of a guy who's moving up because of performance, um, one guy that we haven't touched on yet that has basically touched on every ball that's been thrown at him is Moises Gomez. Um, clearly all the rage for good reason. He has 20 homers already. Um, He's still only 23. Uh, his slugging percentage this year is basically like 200 points higher than any other season in his career. Can you tell me kind of about his season this year and then his turnaround? Because the Cardinals just picked him up from the Rays uh, this past offseason. And there's been yeah. immediate dividends. Uh, I don't know if it's what he's been doing, what the Cardinals have been teaching, combination thereof, if it's just a career hot streak, you know, uh, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, a career hot streak sort of element to this, I think. Um, you know, especially over the first, like, m month and a half of the season. Um, you know, he went bananas. Uh, I think it was over his first 31 games, he had 17 homers. Um, so there was some, you know, there's some luck involved when you start to look at numbers like that. Um, it's just not a, It's just not sustainable, you know. Um, Unless you're Aaron Judge, I mean, since that date, uh, you know, he's hitting 310, 364, 521. Um, he's still striking out like a tremendous amount. And I think that's the biggest question for me. And one of the reasons I didn't put him on the list, um, I wanted to give it another sort of month or two um, before I really bought in. No. Um, but that said, you know, that said, he's cooled off to a 900 OPS. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think you're seeing that, you know, he's maybe making some adjustments uh, just based on his chase rates, stuff like that. He's not swinging as wildly out of the zone. Um, it's still not great. Like, he's still a pretty low contact guy. There's still a lot of swing and miss there. Um, but, you know, he's one of those guys that if you look at, like um, – like ex wobe bacon, like he's going to like, I mean, dude, he's, he's going to be a guy that's like off the charts because when he does like Khalil Watson, like when he does make contact, <laughs> he does significant damage. I mean, you're talking, yeah, I think the Cardinals have two of those right now and Nolan Gorman and Tyler O'Neill as well, you know? So, yeah, I think Gorman has more approach. Like I, I honestly think Gorman's like, like, you looked at his hit tool last year. That was a, that was a drastic upgrade. Um, and he's done a lot of work, off the field, just trying to refine his approach, 
and pitch rec- recognition stuff. He had some stuff that he worked on prior to the fall league that he used and implemented in the fall league. And then the early this season, uh, the numbers were a little bit crazy. Um, but still, you know, I, I think the big thing is like Gomez just making more contact. Gomez isn't chasing as much and it's not a huge difference, but it's enough of a difference that the power now is able to play. Cause he's not swinging and missing, you know, more than 40% of the time on, you know, um, pitches that he swings at and he's not chasing you know 35 to 36 percent of the time he's gotten it more to like a fringe average level so i think just even getting his approach to fringe average from below average uh has paid dividends you know and he's you know he can he can play a corner outfield spot so i don't i don't think it's it's going to be an issue with that so i had a list of people that i was going to say i'd be remiss if i didn't at least ask about but you've already talked about burleson and mason win uh, you mentioned Jordan Walker's name, and I mentioned Ivan Herrera's name earlier. Can you just give me the kind of one-minute version of your thoughts on Walker and Herrera? I mean, I think Walker, you know, um, one of the best power bats that you're going to see in the minor leagues. The hit tool's coming along. He's made tremendous strides since he was an amateur, where I think there were really major questions on like whether this kid could hit or not. Um He's a big guy. I, I don't know if he's going to stick at third base long term, but with the bat, the bat that he has in the profile, if he moves to first base every day and how long he is, fine. <laughs> like, how do you think he'd you do know, in the with us having Goldschmidt and you know Gorman and Yepes and Burleson and Baker and lots of first basemen as well? Do you think Walker can play the outfield? Yeah, he could probably play left field. You know, I I'd have to see it. Okay. You know, to really to really say one way or another, I think the question is like how well he moves. He's a below average runner. Um, okay. He can get top speed sometimes, and you'll be a little bit surprised. I just don't know how he's going to run. Um, you know, in the outfield in particular. Uh, and then Herrera, <laughs> is this finally the guy that's going to overtake like Molina when he retires, like in twenty years or whatever? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to believe it until I see it this offseason yeah. that he officially announces it. <laughs> The catch and throw has been pretty good. Um, you know, I think uh, he still needs to refine a little bit as a, as a receiver. Uh, I'd like to watch a little bit more this year to to kind of see if he's made some more strides in that regard. The bat's good. Um, it's one of the best approaches uh, in the Cardinal system. He gets on base a lot. He takes a lot of pitches. He doesn't chase. He doesn't swing at junk. Um, there is power in the bat as well, uh, regardless of what the numbers are. I like Ivan Herrera. I think he's a guy that could, you know, potentially be an everyday catcher. Um, and they've had a few come through here uh, over the last couple of years. You know, I mean, Carson Kelly obviously injured, but, uh, you know, went to Arizona and has been a, a solid everyday guy. And, um, you know, I think that Herrera probably um, could slide in and, and fit into that role uh, at some point over the next couple of years. Still fairly young at, at 22. Um, you know, 22-year-old catcher that's in the upper minors, that kind of says a lot. Yeah. Um, do you think plan for next year, assuming Molina does retire, like he says, um, if you had to guesstimate a time split for Kisner and Herrera, what would you be thinking? If it was, if it was you running the show? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think you're probably going to give Herrera more time. Um, we can, you know, you see what happens, but I, I tend to feel like guys, I guess I kind of saw it with William Contreras with the Braves. Like, Guys like this maybe adjust for a period of time if they are truly, you know, a, a talented all-around catcher. 
um, they're going to be able to adjust to that and sort of get into a groove. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough spot to play. So it might be the kind of thing where, you know, Nizder is playing more early on and then you see Herrera later on, um, sort of overtake him in terms of the time splits and, and getting more time. Um, you know, catching is just different from other positions. It's just, it's a drastic change. You got to learn the pitching staff. You got to learn how those guys work. Um, and there's a lot of the advanced work um, with those guys in the major league level. So um, it's important to to do all the work behind the scenes. And I think uh, that's something for any rookie. I don't care how talented you are. Um, I don't care if you're a heavy rushman. It's going to take some time to adjust to. Yeah. Um, shifting gears to the outfield. Um, a follower of mine named Michael on Twitter wants to know, are there any potential everyday center fielders in the pipeline for once Bader leaves? He personally likes Mike Antico, like you said, and Connor Capel, but doesn't think that either will necessarily be a starter. Yeah. Um, before you answer that, I'd also like to add um, Matt Kaperniak to that question as well, just because I've seen his stats and I, mm-hmm. I've heard Kyle talk about him. So if you would touch on those three or anybody else that you see as somebody that could take over for Bader and center and, and still meet that Cardinals, you know, Cardinals definition of what a center field defender is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of those guys are going to end up being a, a full-time MLB regular. Um, I think you'd be happy if they're all major league players at some point. Uh, like I said, I like Antico. Um, you know, I like Kaperniak. I should talk Kyle a bit about Kaperniak. Um, but I just, and then Capel, you know, we've known for a while, um, yeah. but they all just feel like depth pieces, you know, like they're not, they're not org depth, but they seem more like potential upper minors, major league depth, sort of up and down type of guys. Quad um, guys. If I'm going to throw a name out here that I think potentially could end up in center field, if they wanted to do this, and I don't know if they will probably Mason win wins athletic enough. He's got the arm. Um, there's been some questions, honestly, about his glove and his actions at short, not the arm. The arm is, probably the best arm I've ever seen at shortstop, but (laughs) um, he's not like a real, uh, he's not a great defender. His hands aren't great. Um, And that's led to some questions that he's a second baseman where like, you're kind of not using that arm. If you put him at second base, in my opinion, Uh, if you don't think he can play short because of the hands, you probably don't think he can play third because of the hands. It's like, could Mason win be a center fielder? Um, And I think he could be a really good one. Uh, he's rangy. He's athletic. The arm is like going to keep everybody really honest in the base pass. I mean, he's the kind of guy that could, <laughs> he could probably throw guys out at home from like deep center field. If he lets it go, like it's, <laughs> he's going to be that Rick and like from the track. Yeah. Like you, he throws like 95 from the outfield. Yeah. Like I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost dead serious. Like I saw him make a throw deep in the hole on a backfield game. Maybe the last game I saw in Cardinals camp. And it was the one that, like, he shouldn't even have been able to make it. And it's funny because he was so calm. And I think it's one thing that he does have as an infielder is, like, the internal clock. Like, he settled himself and just made a great throw. And he just unleashed a throw and beat the guy by, like, a step and a half. <laughs> he was like, you shouldn't – that should have been a bang-bang play where it was kind of like, hey, it might be safe. And it wasn't that close. Like, it yeah. But that's – his arm is Carlos Correa. It is – as good of an arm as I've seen. I just wonder if maybe he could let it loose. And, you know, they have a lot of infielders, like you said. Um, maybe he's a guy that they moved to center field eventually. I haven't heard anything about that. So this is totally just throwing the speculation out there on myself. 
Oh man, that story about his arm reminds me one time I saw uh, back when the Marlins had all that speed at the top of their order, like uh, Juan Pierre and, and Luis Castillo and all them. I saw Scott Rowland playing third base and one of them just, I, I want to say it was Pierre the year he had like 4 million steals. He ripped one that was like a two hopper. That was one of those just curving off the left-handed bat down the lines that like a two hopper that Roland ended up probably in the coaching box with the ball in his glove, just diving that far and just saw Roland pop up to one knee and then gun out the speediest leadoff hitter in the game by a step. It was, it was a ridiculous arm. So that, that yeah. I figured I'd tell that story since you had told your, uh, your Mason went yeah, on. Yeah, it's it's very legit. <laughs> Before we move to draft prospects, um, uh, somebody by the name of O.T. Lee on Twitter wanted to know, uh, speaking of shortstops, what kind of prospect is shortstop Jeremy Rivas? Is he going to be a glove first guy or will the bat to ball uh, he has eventually manifest any power to move him up? Yeah, um, you know, he's a guy that I, I, I've not seen a ton of. Um He's on that Palm Beach team. Saw him a little bit uh, in in spring. There's definitely about the ball. He can definitely hit. There's not a lot of impact. So, <laughs> you know, that's sort of what the big question is. Uh, in terms of defense, I'd really like to see it in person again. Um, I don't think that he was always playing shortstop in those games. They had a lot of guys to get in. Um, and, I, and to be fair, like there were four games going on at times in the complex. So, Depending yeah. upon who was pitching, I was bouncing around. Gotcha. <laughs> there was one day where it was four Marlins games and uh, four Cardinals Marlins games going on at the complex, and it was just like <laughs> three sixty. You know, like yeah, there's guys here, here, and here, and like the double A game, I was trying to get into a lot because Yachty was getting some at bats when he was coming back. Um, you had win in the infield um, uh, with Delvin Perez, with Jordan Walker. You know, so um, you had Austin Love pitching some of those guys. So he wasn't higher in your priority list. He wasn't. I saw him a little bit, but to, to be fair, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to give an opinion that's incorrect. Uh, gotcha. Just simply because you know it, they're not as easy to watch as you know Springfield and Peoria and Memphis, where you know they're good streams. You can tune in. A lot of the teams in the leagues have good streams too, um, yeah, so you can yeah. get a good idea of what it is. I mean, I got the numbers in front of me and stuff, but. Yeah, you know, for, I for those the, yeah. I remember the club. For those people listening that, that like Jeremy Rivas, here, here's kind of what we're going on statistically. Uh, he's he's about to play in his 100th game as a Cardinal. He played 48 in 2021, 51 in 2022 so far. 407 plate appearances. He has 15 extra base hits, uh, 14 doubles, a triple, and no homers. Um, he has a lower slugging percentage than on base percentage each of the last two years. But his defense, he has played all but three innings. So 794 of his 797 innings have come at short in the majors, at least. Or not in the majors, sorry. In actual games in the minors, not in spring. Mm -hmm. Um, This year, he's played, uh, let me do quick mental math, 54 more innings. No, 56. 56 more innings than 2021 already at short and has seven less errors. So um, he's got more putouts, more assists. Um, 62 more chances and seven less errors uh, and turn 15 more double plays. So something to say there potentially about his defense, even improving. Um, Rivas is still only 19 years old, won't turn 20 until next March. So a lot of improvement could still be made there. If you're in the Rivas camp, I just wanted to throw that out there for you. 
Um, all right. So now let's move on to draft prospects. Um, before we talk about the draft, a good friend of mine, Rob, uh, shout out to Rob out in DC, uh, wants to know how can Mizzou lure the Tennessee coach? Because uh, Tennessee coach is a native St. Louisan and one that Mizzou actually mistakenly apparently turned down for the job a few years ago. Uh, is there <laughs> anything Mizzou could do at this point to get him back? Uh, I don't know. They want to throw like six million at him or something. Double the salary. I can't see Tony V leaving that program right now. I mean, he defines Tennessee baseball. And um, though I think there are some people in the game that don't love the way that they behave. Um, I love him as a coach. I love the way he defends his players. I think it's um, solely lacking in the college game. I don't think we see. I think we often see too many guys that try to be um authoritative drill sergeants and you know try to get these guys to behave in a certain manner and i i appreciate that um i'm a father i get it but at the same time i think you know um you look at a guy like vitello and he really goes to bat for his guys even if they're completely wrong like i thought drew gilbert what he did the other day he didn't even get rung up and he starts barking at the guy and you know vitello Vitello's ride or die, man. You know, he's like, he's the kind of guy you want in your corner. And I just can't imagine him with the personality that he has leaving that program right now with all the great incoming transfers they have. They got Maui Ahuna from Kansas, who's a, you know, is a standout shortstop. They could be even better than they were last year. They get Dolander back. They got Burns back. Um, you know, so they, and they're going to get other starters in, you know, um, so I think I, I can't imagine him leaving that program, especially for Missouri. I mean, you, you want to tell me Florida or, you know, NC State, like some pro, UCLA, some premier program, possibly. And even then, I, I, I don't know, because I think that this Tennessee job is getting there and the school's really plugged in with that team. You know, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he's just I can't imagine him going to, to Mizzou. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right so shifting to a little bit more granular here when you talk to baseball people front office guys with actual teams do you get the sense uh, when it comes to a draft um and this question's probably easily answered but i want to ask it anyway um do you feel like teams draft for need whether that's mlb need or organizational need or draft the top talent they can or some sort of mix of the two and while you're answering that if you could answer if, if it's top talent, is it high floor, high ceiling, or both when it comes to that? So, or a combination? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it depends on the team. Uh, teams, different teams value different things more. Uh, some teams like the Astros or um, are going to be, you know, much more likely to uh, um, draft off of their models, you know, um, Cleveland's going to draft off their model. Um, there's inputs in there that, you know, are based off of their scouting grades that get, you know, sent in. Um, but the way that you weigh those models is going to be very dependent upon the type of things that you value most. You know, not every model is going to spit out the same thing. Um, I think the bigger point and where the game is moving in terms of where guys are, you know, going in terms of what teams are targeting, I think it really comes down to the skills. Uh, how does, how does this guy work within 
this particular, how does his swing work? How does his feet work? When he, when he's a pitcher, like, you know, where's his toe pointing? <laughs> What's the arm action? Like, what does the fastball move like? Is he a pronator or a supnator? And a lot of these sort of physical characteristics, I think, then dictate to player development departments. All right. Can we turn this into this? So like my, my go-to expression on this is if you have a tremendous world-class French chef, you're not going to ask him to make you a fabulous Mexican meal. You're going to ask him to make a, a great French meal. So you're going to buy French ingredients. And that's what these teams are doing. Um, they're going after guys that fit particular profiles that, you know, um, that they that they really want. Um, and I think that's that's sort of the bigger thing. Like we we can get the, this guy to do this because he does this. And now there's a whole wide rainbow of these different traits and these teams and what they look for. We could sit here for 45 minutes and go through all of them. Um, but that's the thing. When I talk to scouting directors, the first one of the first questions I ask is, "What's your organizational philosophy in terms of the amateur players that you target?" And they usually give you a pretty good idea. I mean, you look at Toronto. Toronto values guys that make contact, work deep in accounts, and get on base. And they feel that they that the power will come. Get me guys that have hit tools. Get me guys that give good at bats. We'll coach up the rest. Um, the Dodgers do a great job of this. The Dodgers identify qualities every single year that they then bring those guys into the system. They bring those guys into their PD development. And then they're able to develop them into the best version of themselves. And I think sometimes with certain players, it depends where they go. It's funny. I had one team tell me that they would have developed McGreevy differently than the Cardinals are. I didn't get any more expansion on that other than we probably would have, we were on him. We probably would have just, we probably would have had a different plan with him. That's not to say their plan is better than what the Cardinals are doing. It's just, you can see how different characteristics to certain teams maybe accentuate what they view the long-term uh, yeah. profile as I know this is a really long convoluted way to answer <laughs> the question, but I think it's really nuanced. Like this is, this, this varies the, what the white Sox like and what the red Sox like are on different ends of the spectrum, you know? All right. So last question for today, because I know you got to roll soon. Um, if you don't mind checking chat there for a second, um, if you could handle a team's draft, What's your plan specifically? Um, like if you were the Cardinals, if you were Randy Flores this year, what's your early rounds plan uh, in terms of first, second, third rounds? What what are you drafting if you're the Cardinals right now? And you don't have to maybe talk as Randy Flores, but if you were in charge. <laughs> I am Randy Flores. Um, <laughs> I saw him. I saw him a few weeks ago, actually, at the Kumar start. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, I think, you know, in terms of um, what I would look at, this it depends on the draft. Like, this draft is not deep with college pitching. There's just not a lot of it. Um, I'd really be doing more of the Nolan Gorman, uh, Jordan Walker type, where I'd be looking at the most talented guy with the highest upside that drops as far as possible in the draft. And okay. grab a guy like that. And we'll figure it out because I think for me, when I look at this particular draft class, I think there is a lot of depth within the college position player ranks because there's more good college position players in the first round. So it's pushing some guys into the second round and then subsequently, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, further down the board. Um, 
but there's going to be guys like Ivan Melendez that you're going to be able to get like outside of the first round who's got major juice and could be a legitimate MLB bat. And, you know, we're looking at an age where there's DH for all 30 teams. Um, That first base profile isn't as unattractive as it had been in previous years. Um, And I'm just using him as an example. There's numerous other guys that are catchers and center fielders and shortstops and and infielders that are really talented. Um, You know, I don't know if this guy will last into the second round, but for my money, I would take Eric Brown over – a dozen plus guys that are, you know, being mocked and, and ranked within the first round. I saw Eric Brown every day, pretty much with the two it last year. The swing is weird, but I mean, he's timing wise, he gets down, he gets the foot down. The barrel was always in a great position. I think he probably barreled up every single game. I saw him. Sometimes it wouldn't necessarily be fair. Uh, He's twitchy. He's athletic. He's not a shortstop, but I think he could be a plus second baseman. And that's the other thing is as some of these shifting rules and things are changing, being able to be rangy at second base is now a huge asset where it was something that even as recently as last year, we were throwing out the window. Like who cares? Max Muncy by second, you know, <laughs> Bobby Dahlback at second. Like you don't need to be that much range. You just need to have good hands. So who Mike, cares? Mike Moustakis moved to second. Yeah. And it's changed. Like that's not yeah. what the reality is going to be. If you're watching some of these minor league games where there's no shifting, Having that guy that can that can play a little bit more up the middle type of a second base position, you know, almost like a second shortstop, it's valuable because you, your range is so much greater. And, and, and especially when you have a lot of pitchers like the Cardinals do, where they have guys that are ground ball heavy, ground ball heavy, mm-hmm. ground ball heavy. So I think there's a lot of these guys like Ryan Ritter I watched last night from Kentucky, really good defensive shortstop. I don't know some questions with a bat. Some of those guys are going to put down. I would probably be more position heavy. And then would look for some of the the guys with outlier pitchers, et cetera, outlier pitches, et cetera, that you can maybe scoop up. You look at a guy like Bryce Miller last year. I think everybody that looked at that fastball prior to the draft was like, hey, this is a really great fastball, but there were questions about him starting, about the secondaries. He's taking a big step forward. Those are the kind of guys I would probably gamble on, and you probably don't have to pay him as much money. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Jeff for his time today. Jeff, uh, really appreciate it. I know you've got places to be. Um, kids to see all that. Oh, yeah. Um, Jeff has very generously agreed to come back again later this week for a part two of this, so we could get more into the two individuals in this draft that the Cardinals could go after. Um, so that's what I wanted to do there with that last question was kind of set the stage of where Jeff and I are going to talk next week or uh, later this week. Um, Welcome back to Conversations with Saruti for the summer, where hopefully we will get more awesome content like Jeff. I'm hoping to get Matt Thompson back on, uh, get Kyle Reese back on for a look at what he thinks the Cardinal system looks like after half the minor league season. Um, So again, thank you, Jeff. And I will talk to uh, all you all later. Have a wonderful, wonderful few days until I see you again.